Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and I take up two pieces of information recently released by FinCEN on financial institutions doing due diligence on customers and PEPs and conclude that the regulators may have actually hurt the compliance professional. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the Herbalife FCPA enforcement action. Uh, First of all, Matt, welcome. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. So, Matt, you want to set the stage for Herbalife? Yeah. All right. That is not easy to do because there's so much background and context here. But uh, Herbalife is, they sell dietary supplements. And they work as a multi-level marketing business where you get the supplements and then you try to sell them or get other people to buy them. And then they sell them to other people uh, that many people out there who have not paid too much attention to Herbalife, they suspect isn't that a pyramid scheme of some kind. Uh, Herbalife insists it is not a pyramid scheme. In the 2010s, it did have a settlement with the Federal Trade Commission around those pyramid scheme allegations. We are not here to talk about all of that because aside from all of the pyramid scheme FTC stuff that was going on, uh, Herbalife did have a very serious FCPA action arise um, where Herbalife wound up paying $123 million uh, in a deferred prosecution agreement for three years. Uh, that is includes a $55 million criminal penalty to the Justice Department, $67 million in disgorgement and interest that goes to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And uh, basically, the allegations are that Herbalife executives in China were bribing Chinese government officials to be able to sell Herbalife products there. Uh, as I understand Chinese law... These multi-level marketing schemes, whatever you want to call them over here, they are not allowed over there in China. So uh, Herbalife had to launch more of a direct sales business and needed business licenses and whatnot. And now we're off to the races of bribing local government officials in China. That is not news. Um, So they do have the criminal settlement. I am not going to talk about that. But I did want to talk about the SEC settlement, which outlines like this really extraordinary case of rampant bribery by one particular uh, executive over there. Her name was Mary Yang, who was the director of external affairs for Herbalife in the 2010s. Uh, She has since been indicted criminally herself for FCPA charges, and I believe she is still awaiting trial and hearings in the District Court of New York on that. But uh, she had spun up this outrageously expensive um, travel and expense account, and we can get into all of that, but that was the the bribery that was going on. And to that extent, like we've been there and done that and heard that many times in FCPA land, but the details of how this bribery came to pass and how the higher-ups at Herbalife let it pass, I think that was the news that's really worth paying attention to. Well, Matt, although the bribery scheme was as pedestrian as it can be, 
I think the numbers are still pretty eye-popping. And you put in your blog post uh, a chart of uh, Mary Yang's expenses for the second half of 2012. And according to that, uh, she submitted expenses for attending 239 meals with clients. And that's over a six-month period, not a 12-month period. And 4,300, over 4,300 participants averaging $3,232 per meal. Um, and that yes. was uh, reported uh, in the company's in, in audit team found that information and turned that in. The number that really caught my eye was from 2010 to 2016, there $7.6 million in meals and entertainment expenses submitted by the Chinese business unit. And these numbers are just almost beyond belief, even coming out of China. I, I can't think of any other case uh, perhaps, uh, and we can't even use GlaxoSmithKline because they didn't really use meals as the way to, uh, to fund the bribes. Uh, they used other schemes. But clearly there was a problem, and clearly somebody uh, needed to go in and take a deeper dive into this. Yeah, I especially loved that if you sit down and do the math with Mary Yang. So she had one Point three meals expensed per day every day, including weekends, uh, for six months, where she would have, on average, uh, eaten out every single day with seventeen other people, and done that twice on weekends. Everybody spending about one hundred and eighty bucks per person. And as much as I like the high life, and as much as I like to think I have a lot of friends, that's just like that can't be right. But what really stood out to me actually was that from an audit best practices perspective, on the surface, Herbalife's internal audit function was doing everything by the book. Um, it, the audit of Mary Yang's expenses for 2012 happened in 2014. So they knew that she was going to be a high risk for bribery and corruption. So they did a close audit where would bribery and corruption typically happen in China? It would happen in gifts, entertainment, meals, travel. So they looked there. They had clearly documented this. They had found evidence of fake receipts and spending without prior pre-approvals and all the other nonsense that we usually see with uh, bribery schemes like this. Um, so, you know, on one level, you can't fault the internal audit department for doing what it did. Now, here's where it gets weird, is that the internal audit function at Herbalife reported directly to the audit committee, which it's supposed to do, and they circulated the results of these audits directly to the audit committee of the board, which, again, they're supposed to do. And then the board even wondered what's going on. So uh, they actually had done a second audit of Mary Yang's expenses, which in 20, I think it was 13 or 14 meal expenses, they were not... You know, there wasn't 17 people at 3200 bucks a piece, but it was closer to like 115 meals over six months at $1,500. Still clearly egregious. And this is the second big audit red flag that they have served up to the audit committee. And the audit committee, one board member said to another, what's going on? This seems unreasonable. And the second board member responded, direct quote here from the SEC's order, Please note that I've questioned this every year I've been on the board, and the company has defended its position that these are reasonable within FCPA guidelines. Um, and the internal audit director, who I just praised moments ago for doing everything by the book, 
it seems, uh, that internal audit director told the audit committee, yeah, this is weird, you might think, but, quote, these findings are typical issues in these audits, and they are within tolerance, close quote. So the internal audit function, clearly, they weren't actually serious about this because they've raised these red flags as big as like a Christo art installation. And the audit committee says, I don't know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? I've been asking about this for years. And then the internal audit director tells the audit committee, well, this is all within tolerance. And then, and then life goes on. And I just, I, you have to wonder in astonishment, like at what point did the audit committee finally come to their senses and say, no, this is not within tolerance. This is not acceptable. If we think this is a typical performance for the China operation, we need to re-evaluate what's typical. Um, the audit committee should have knocked some sense into the Chinese management, into internal auditor, and everybody should have been well aware that a red flag this large needs immediate attention. Not just everybody kind of pointing at each other and looking around like Mickey the Dunce, which seems to be, from the SEC settlement order, seems to be what was happening there at Herbalife in the mid-2000s, or mid-2010s. And I just, words fail me. So from that quote, uh, we have the internal audit director responding to the board inquiries. Matt, that indicates to me that the internal audit director is in on this in some way. But if the board was asking these questions in other years, the language, quote, the company has defended its position, end quote, also tells me that others at the company were in on it as well. One of the frustrations I had in reading these documents is there's really no one named outside um, Mr. Lee and Ms. Yang specifically uh, as part of this bribery scheme, yet it seems to go much higher within the organization. Well, I, I did decide to look up who are these audit committee people um, and what were they doing. So here are some of the names of the audit committee at the time in 2016. Um, Richard Birmingham, was chair of the audit committee, and he had been a Herbalife board member since 2004. And at the time this was all being discussed, uh, in 2016, uh, Mr. Birmingham was 77. He has since left the board in 2018. Uh, there was another one, James Nelson. He joined Herbalife's board in 2014. And Michael Montelongo, the, he joined the board in 2015. Both Mr. Nelson and Mr. Montelongo, they still serve on the audit committee today. I'm willing to give them a bit more leeway because maybe they were new in 2016 and they were still trying to figure out what is going on. Um, but Richard Birmingham in particular, like if he had been on the audit committee for 12 years and he is still just rubber stamping these glaring, glaring internal audit reports, uh, that leaves me wondering what was going on. Um, and also, there was another board director. His name is Leroy Barnes. He had preceded Richard Birmingham as chair of the audit committee in the early 2010s, when all of this would have been in its bribery prime. Um, Barnes had been on the board also since 2004. He left in 2015. Um, I'm not exactly clear on why did he leave then or under what circumstances. I have no idea if he left before things came down or if he was getting out of Dodge because he thought that a shootout was going to happen. I don't know why he left. But um, you do have to wonder, 
were these people taking their duties seriously? Um, and I, I just, it certainly seems from the SEC allegations that no, they weren't because, uh, here's the audit committee specifically asking, why are, do we have this? It seems alarming. What do we know? And everybody else just kind of smiling and say, ah, well, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's within tolerance. Let me take things in a little bit different direction, Matt. One of the other eye-popping numbers for me in the SEC order was the amount of sales that Herbalife got out of the Chinese business unit. It was fully 20% of the company's war, uh, international sales, which is $4 billion, and it was a little over $800 million annually in sales. So there was clearly an incentive uh, for the company to um, do this if, if profitability or making money is all you care about, not uh, playing by the rules. There was something else going on at Herbalife starting in about 2016. A fellow named Bill Ackerman took a big short position against the company, claiming that it was a uh, Ponzi scheme. And um, the it's not clear. It, it is clear that Herbalife did not self-disclose to the Department of Justice or SEC because they did not receive credit for that. What's not clear is what led to uh, them receiving what appears to be a subpoena from the Securities and Exchange Commission. But it could be possible that uh, Ackerman saw something in the numbers which didn't make sense to him, or <clears throat> his own inquiries uh, led the SEC to start nosing around, and that potentially led to this subpoena. Well, I think that is uh, very possible. We do not know if that was, in fact, what happened. But nonetheless, uh, Bill Ackerman is a high-profile Wall Street investor. Uh, he does speak out on Twitter and on CNBC and other media outlets. He has a very large uh, megaphone, which he does not hesitate to use when he thinks that he is in the right. And like many large, uh, wealthy corporate titans, he tends to think he's right at all times. Um, so he had been complaining about Herbalife for quite some time. It is inconceivable to me that the SEC would not have noticed that uh, Bill Ackerman was off on the sidelines shouting up and down, you know, fraud, Ponzi scheme, Herbalife, somebody please look. And we also know for a fact that the SEC will take reports from outside observers and freelance financial analysts who investigate a company think that they have found fraud, they will submit those fraud allegations to the SEC, and the SEC will investigate. And sometimes those investigations do lead to some sort of enforcement action. Um, we know that for a fact because we have seen some outsiders win whistleblower awards from the SEC, which by definition means the information they brought was original and it led to a settlement, and now they get a, set, a slice of whatever the SEC squeezed out of the company. So I would not at all be surprised if Bill Ackerman and his um, allegations on Twitter and elsewhere had put into motion the, an SEC subpoena. That would be very plausible, I think. Well, one of the uh, other notations in the SEC order was the uh, – fraudulent uh, Sarbanes-Oxley subcertifications that came out of China. So maybe that was another way it got picked out, picked up somehow through that. It's very possible, yeah. And I'm like, I, I have not looked into all of the pyramid scheme allegations or the Federal Trade Commission settlement or anything like that, but there's a lot of smoke around Herbalife. People, Bill Ackerman is not the only one who thinks that Herbalife has some accounting issues that need more attention. 
Um, and clearly, the regulators on the Federal Trade Commission side, they thought there was something there worthy of enforcement. So like Herbalife is a company with a past. We'll put it that way. So I'm not surprised that there is yet another chapter in this um, autobiography they seem to be writing about um, you know enforcement actions. Matt, for our last segment, I wondered if we might kind of explore uh, perhaps the philosophy of, of uh, fines, penalties, and punishments in this case. It seems to me that, uh, well, first of all, uh, through, I think, great lawyering from Herbalife's FCPA counsel, they were able to obtain a 25% discount off the minimum range of the, of the settlement guidelines, total fines and penalties in the amount of 123 million, 55 million criminal penalties, 67 million in disgorgement, no monitorship required. Uh, the two uh, Chinese executives we have named in this podcast, Mary Yang and William Lee, are both under personal criminal indictment. There are no other individual indictments or individual SEC enforcement actions that we're aware of at this time. But what what really should a punishment be? Should should they have just come in and, and wiped out Herbalife's China business unit? Is that in the interest of the SEC or DOJ or even the United States? Uh, should Herbalife be allowed to continue with some supervision? Should Herbalife be able to say, well, we've cleaned ourselves up and we'll tell you we're continuing to clean ourselves up on, in our annual reports? Or is there something else that perhaps the regulators could do? Well, if you start from the conservatives position, and we have conservatives running the administration and the SEC and the Justice Department these days, so that's fair to do. Uh, their philosophy will be that penalties really only harm current shareholders because they will not get to reap the benefits of that money in the company's possession. It harms current shareholders who had nothing to do with the misconduct that had happened before. That argument is not without merit. You also hear from the Justice Department and the SEC that holding individuals accountable is really what we should be doing because it is people who decide to break the law, not some corporation that is really just a collection of you know legal agreements and articles of con incorporation. And the, the corporation is not a person. Uh, people are people. So if you put those two things together, I could see the idea that you go easier on corporate penalties, but... I would then argue that you should try to step up the penalties against individuals who are somehow involved either in the misconduct or in the negligent oversight that allowed it to happen. Um, for example, if you have an audit committee that gets an audit report that, like I said, has a red flag as big as a Christo painting and none of the nothing happens then. Well, those men, uh, and they are all men in this case, but those men should get some sort of director and officer bar that they can't serve on a company anymore. Or if you are an accountant involved in this, lose your CPA license. Or if you're a lawyer involved in this, you lose your bar license. Um, if we could take steps like that, where people can clearly see, if I engage in misconduct now, I lose my ability to earn a livelihood in the future, and, you know, so I'm really going to take a big risk on making these quarterly numbers now. But two years from now, I might be stuck working an hourly wage job at Home Depot or McDonald's. Is that going to be worth it? No, I'm not going to do it. I, I would say some sort of punishment dynamic like that would be much more in step with these goals that Republicans uh, in Congress and in Washington say that they have. I'd like to see that. 
I know it's harder to do than it sounds. You know, it's states are the what control CPA and uh, bar licenses, not the feds. Um, on the other hand, it also depends not on the severity of punishment, but on the certainty of punishment. And if the Justice Department and the SEC are not really that vigorous about prosecuting individuals, uh, then a lot of people might say, well, really, you know, could I could crap out if I get caught, but if the odds are I'm not going to get caught, maybe I'll do it. So I, I have to say it, first off, we have to be much more expansive about the certainty of getting punished. And then if you want to talk about personal punishment as opposed to corporate penalties, I think that's another conversation worthy of having. But I don't think anybody in Washington right now is anywhere near having those kind of conversations. So we are where we are. Indeed, we are. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating exploration of a case that really presents uh, a lot of really delicious issues, even with the most basic fraud and bribery scheme that we've seen in quite some time. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me, tfox, at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic and take a deep dive into the weeds of it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being a loyal listener. And we look forward to visiting with you again. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave a message on the speaker app on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.